Acts chapter 25, verses 13 to 27. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the men to be brought up to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion, about a dead man named Jesus, who claimed, who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Paul before Agrippa. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community had petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he had made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, uh, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. They sh should, why should any of you consider it incredible that God 
raises the dead. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme in my session against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of, chief, of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven bringing brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me, in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can freely speak to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long. I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. They left the room and while talking with one another they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appeared to Caesar, appealed to Caesar. Let's leave your Bibles open there at Acts 25 and 26. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before your word this morning, uh, we pray that your spirit 
would guide our time together, uh, that you would uh, challenge us, um, rebuke us, and train us, that we would become more like your son, that we would be better equipped to share the hope we have in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, the infamous COVID restrictions of 2020 brought uh, quite a few disturbances to our lives. But they also inadvertently brought many technological advancements. Before COVID restrictions, some of us were using Zoom uh, to occasionally attend a meeting via distance, but it always felt really awkward and clunky. You never really knew when to speak or when you were going to get spoken over. But after using Zoom all the way through lockdowns, it's become more normal. It's become far less awkward. These days, we live stream all our church services, which is something that we probably never would have done if it was not for those lockdowns. And through that whole process, many of us have learned a lot about technology and how it all works, but not all of us have. And these days, well, there's a growing expectation, isn't there, that people will be able to keep up with the latest technology. Banks are moving things online. Service New South Wales and many other organisations are all expecting us to interact with their services online. And understandably, this can cause a fair bit of stress for those who are less technologically inclined. And so occasionally, Tamara and I will be asked to go and help somebody with their computer problem. Usually, we'll go and look at what the problem is, then we'll try and explain what the problem is and how we need to fix it. And that's usually where we run into trouble. Because it's usually when we're trying to explain how a computer works that we can easily confuse uh, whoever that is. It's not easy to explain all of the strange terms and break them down into relatable ideas. And often, no matter how hard we try and explain these concepts, our words just sound like gobbledygook to those who aren't into computers. People can look at you like you're an alien. When you ask them if their computer is a dual-core or a quad-core processor, or if it's running a HDD or an SSD, or if their operating system is Linux, Windows or Mac. To those who aren't into computers, those words just sound so strange and so overwhelming, it, it just sounds like foolishness. Which is often how people feel when we try and share the good news of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. If we have faith in Jesus, we've been given the life-saving, hope-giving, good news of the gospel. And we've been given eyes to see it and to understand it. But unless we share this good news with those around us, our friends, our family members and those in our community, they may never hear it from somebody else and they might leave this world still in their sins. 
And so our calling to share the good news of Jesus is extremely important. And of course, at this time of year around Christmas, there are rarely more opportunities to do so. But sharing the good news of Jesus can seem like foolishness to those who don't have any interest in trying to understand it. And yet in today's passage, the Apostle Paul is doing just that. He is sharing the hope that he has in Jesus with some important officials who are quick to dismiss it as foolishness. And as he shares the good news of Jesus with Agrippa and Festus, Paul shows us that he knows his audience. He speaks from experience and he proclaims the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the previous verses, Paul had appealed to Caesar and was now awaiting a hearing in Rome. But while Paul was awaiting this hearing in Rome, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice visited Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Herod, the Herod or, or king mentioned here, is King Agrippa II or King Agrippa II. And he was the king over Judea at that time. But unlike the kings that reigned hundreds of years before him, uh, he was a puppet king for the Romans. He was under the authority of Rome. But uh, even though he was under the authority of Rome, Agrippa had a personal interest in the customs and welfare of the Jews. He loved the Jews, although he wasn't very much loved by them. And so his experience, his expertise was going to be very helpful to Governor Festus. Because even after all of the accusations that the Jews had brought against Paul, he still had no idea how to explain all of this confusion, all of this upset to Caesar. So after Festus had discussed the matter with Agrippa, Agrippa was quick to accept the opportunity to hear Paul speak. The next day, Agrippa and his sister Bernice along with a, a great entourage, entered the court with great pomp. Paul was then brought in, and Festus explained that while the Jews wanted Paul to be put to death, Festus had already come to the conclusion that Paul had done nothing deserving of death. But just the same, he wanted Agrippa's help to define the charges that were being brought before Paul. And so Agrippa gave Paul permission to speak. And as Paul began to speak, any normal person would, would have tried to argue their way out of the trouble they were in. Paul made no effort here to argue for his own freedom. But instead, Paul used this opportunity to share the good news of salvation from sins and freedom in Christ. And as he did that, the first thing he did was show that he knew his audience. I'm sure we've all heard the old saying, methods change, but the message never changes. We should never try and change the gospel in any way, thinking that our hearers will accept it if we leave one part out or another part out. 
There's only one way of salvation from the guilt of our sins before our holy God. And that is through faith in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But how we convey that message will change significantly depending on how much our hearers actually understand about the Bible and how willing they are to hear us speak. In Paul's case, he knew that Agrippa was a man who had a special interest in the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Paul knew that the growing tension between those who trust in Jesus and these Jews wouldn't have escaped Agrippa's attention. And that was probably the reason that Agrippa was so quick to see here uh, Paul's case. And so Paul used Agrippa's knowledge of the rising tension between the Jews and the followers of Jesus to share the message of salvation. And he did that by explaining that following Jesus is nothing more and nothing less than the logical outcome of following the Jewish faith. Now, that's not a strategy that's probably going to work around here where there's not a lot of practicing Jews. But because Paul knew his audience, he explained the gospel in, the, in this way because that was the way that best connected the gospel with the culture that he was in. Paul explained that Jesus didn't come to provide a different way of salvation, but to fulfill the promises that were handed down to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's why Paul says in verse 8, why would any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? He was explaining that his faith in Jesus wasn't a departure from the Jewish faith, but rather a fulfillment of what their forefathers had longed to see. For us, thousands of years later, we can see how the message of God's word fits together. We can read in our New Testaments and see how Jesus fulfills those Old Testament promises. The next thing that uh, Paul does to share the good news of Jesus with Agrippa and Festus is to speak from his own experience. It's often been said that when you share the good news of Jesus, all you need to do is share your own personal testimony because, well, no one can argue with that. Now, there is truth in that statement, but there's also a fairly big problem. When we only share our testimony and not the explicit gospel itself, the gospel of what Jesus has done for us, it can become a story about our own feelings, our own emotions, rather than about what Christ has done for us. And because it's a story about our feelings and our emotions, it's easy for others to just say, well, I don't feel that way. That's why when we share the good news of Jesus, of what Jesus has done for us, it's important for us to make sure that we aren't just talking about how the good news of Jesus makes us feel, but also about the practical everyday difference that knowing Jesus has made in our lives. And that's what Paul is doing as he shares his testimony about how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus that day. 
Agrippa would have no doubt known about how zealous Paul was as a Pharisee before that day. And yet now as Agrippa was able to hear Paul speak, he was able to see for himself what a radical difference that meeting and trusting in Jesus had made in Paul's life. But Paul doesn't conclude with his own personal testimony, but instead he made sure to end with the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection specifically of Jesus. Paul says in, in the second half of verse 22, I'm saying nothing more than what the prophets and Moses had said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul wanted Festus and Agrippa to understand that the hope that he had in Jesus, the hope that had gotten him into so much trouble with his own people, the Jews, was nothing more and nothing less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, up until this point, Festus and Agrippa had willingly listened to Paul's message. Paul had targeted his, targeted his message at Agrippa. He had spoken from his own experience and shared his own testimony. But as Paul explicitly shared the hope of those who trust in Jesus, the hope that was made possible through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, Festus became so stirred up in himself, so emotionally on edge, that he could no longer sit there and remain silent. His conscience seems to have been pricked. But sadly, his heart doesn't seem to have been open. And so he shouted, You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Despite knowing his audience and sharing from his own experience, as he proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus, Festus rejected everything that Paul had just said as madness. Notice how Paul doesn't take offence. He doesn't get caught up in Festus's words, but continues to take every opportunity that is available to him. He continues to prod the heart of Agrippa, saying, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. To which Agrippa exclaimed, do you think that in such a short time you can can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. And after Paul had finished speaking, Agrippa and Festus went out of the room and as they spoke to Egg together, they both agreed that Paul had done nothing deserving of death or chains. So what can we take away from Paul's message to Festus and Agrippa? Well, the first thing is that if we want to share the good news of Jesus in a way that others will understand, we need to know our audience. For those of us who go to church each week, 
Well, it's a normal part of our lives. But to those outside of the church, it's a pretty unusual place. There aren't many places in our culture these days where people meet in a hall and sing worship songs to God and then hear somebody speak about the Bible for 20 or 30 minutes. And yet for those of us who go to church each week, it's completely normal. And so if we're going to share the good news of Jesus with those outside of the church, with those who don't understand and maybe even feel uncomfortable with the way we worship, then we need to do all we can to connect the gospel with our culture. Paul used Agrippa's knowledge of the Jewish faith as a platform to share the good news of Jesus. For some in our community, we might be able to connect the good news of Jesus with things that they have learned in Sunday school way back in the past. While with others who don't have that history with Sunday school, we might need to connect the good news of Jesus with their feelings of guilt or with their pain and suffering, showing them how it is the solution to those things. While with others, we may need to share our testimony, at least at first as we share about the practical difference that receiving forgiveness through Jesus has made in our lives. But however we connect the good news of Jesus with the lives of those we share it with, our methods may change, but our message should never change. And the message, of course, is about the free gift of salvation that is freely given to those who trust in Jesus, a gift that was made possible through Jesus' perfect life lived on our behalf, through the death that he willingly went to for us and through his resurrection from the grave. This is the hope we have, and this is the message that we've been given to share. Even though some will call us mad. Some will think we're deluded or deceived. Regardless of how rational and how convincing we convey the message, but no matter how those we share the good news with receive the message, the good news of Jesus is just as relevant today for the people of our community, for the people in our families, as it has been to every single person who has come to Christ throughout the ages. So let's be bold and share the good news of Jesus with our friends and our neighbours, thinking about who they are and how the gospel can connect to their lives and prayerfully trusting God's spirit to open their hearts and minds so that they might willingly receive this good news. Let's pray. Father God, as we head into the Christmas season, with so much talk about the birth of Christ, Lord, with so many opportunities at least to speak about the birth of Christ, we pray that you would give us wisdom, your Spirit's guidance, and great boldness, Lord, to take those opportunities 
and to encourage those around us and remind them that the birth of Christ really is good news for everyone who trusts in him. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.